Welcome to The Whole Steward, the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. I'm your host, Andrew Stanton, and I'm glad you've joined. You've heard it said that those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it, or history always repeats itself. Now, I like to say history doesn't actually repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So let's take a trip back in history on a topic you'll remember well. It's lessons learned from the world's response to COVID-19, today on The Whole Steward. Well, this is episode number 35. I'm glad you've joined. Now, don't be afraid of this topic. I know this can be a sore spot for a lot of us because we just went through it. Now, here we are, 2023, in the second half of the year, and we probably have pretty fresh in our minds what it was like going through the what we might call the great pandemic, the COVID-19 era of all the craziness that we all experience. I don't think there's anybody on the globe probably that doesn't know much about what's taken place over these last three years. Now, there certainly are some people, but this was a global pandemic. It was a global effort, if you will. It was a global response to address it. And I'm going to enter into some areas that may make you feel uncomfortable. Number one, because it was not a comfortable time to live through. Uh, and we are going to relive some of those things. I think uh, this is goes for myself uh, as well, that I forget what it was like, and I get comfortable now in the way things are going back to somewhat closer to the way they used to be before the pandemic, and we forget. It's human nature to forget, and that's why I opened the show the way I did. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme, and we need to learn from it, so we need to remember what happened and how to prevent it again. Now, why am I talking about this now? Well, I will tell you about that in just a moment. But I want to encourage you that there will be some things I talk about today that will bring back bad memories. And it is not my intent to be negative in any of these things, but actually to come from it from a positive standpoint, because it was a very difficult time. Uh, there were real people dying from sickness. There were real problems introduced by the response to that sickness. And so we're going to look at some of the details today and see how we can do better next time. And it will be a collective effort. So bear with me today. I want to start with Event 201. Event 201 was a event hosted by the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation on October 18th, 2019. So in here, there's a few things that you're going to hear that sound a lot like the real thing. But remember, this is before we heard about the coronavirus, the SARS-CoV-2, or what we know as COVID, 
And I'm going to skip ahead and just play just a few portions of this for you and listen in. We're at the start of what's looking like it will be a severe pandemic. And there are problems emerging that can only be solved by global business and governments working together. So here we see the start of a severe global pandemic. And now they're going to simulate. Well, how do we respond to this? Let me skip ahead. Uh, if you want to watch the whole video, I will link. It's just the highlights from the event that I am using. But I encourage you to watch the whole video so that we can learn from these people who met to simulate what they were going to do when it happened for real. We are not out of money yet, but the fact is we are trending in a dangerous direction and something needs to change. So the policy question for this board now is how should financial resources be prioritized? Are there nodes that we cannot allow to fail? What is your sense of priorities? We don't have money to pay for all of these urgent problems. So at the moment, we want the funds, right? You need the money. So where's the money? So government kind of supplies our money. A lot of, you know, private sectors, you know, some are sitting here, you have some money. But now you need a really coordinated, centralized efforts. Hotels will be, will be experiencing, you know, crippling losses doing that. And we know that the hotel business in itself makes up 5% of the GDP. So just a moment here. The financial issues that are going to arise from this pandemic that they're simulating are going to be significant, they say. There's going to be a huge loss to major portions of the economy. And they're talking about where's the money going to come from? How are we going to handle this financially? As you know, with all nine forms of capital, financial capital is one of them. And that is an important aspect of what human beings are stewarding on a daily basis. Uh, this financial crisis or this pandemic that they're simulating is going to be a big wealth transfer. Listen to what the U.S. CDC Stephen Reed says about this. Governments need to be willing to do things that are out of their historical perspective or for the most part, it's, it's really a, a war footing that we need to be on. So it's a war footing that we need to be on. Governments need to do things that they wouldn't normally do. Isn't this interesting? He's calling for some drastic measures from government. Now, the next thing they talk about is the uh, spirit of entrepreneurship that will also work through the pandemic. Certainly, we saw some of that, but that was only a small glimmer of positivity amongst a lot of things that are what I see as very negative as a whole steward. Now, the last piece I'll play for you has to do with the information flow during the pandemic. Listen to what they say. Remember, this is October 2019, prior to the pandemic. This is their simulation. Countries are reacting in different ways as to how best to manage the overwhelming amounts of dis and misinformation circulating over the internet. In some cases, 
Limited internet shutdowns are being implemented to quell panic. How much control of information should there be? And by whom? And how can false information be effectively challenged? And what if that false information is coming from companies or from governments? I think it's very important that we make sure that there is concise communication with all healthcare facilities where these patients are being treated so that there isn't mass panic. We're at a moment where the social media platforms have to step forward and recognize the moment to assert that they're a technology platform and not a broadcaster is, is over. Um, they, in fact, have to be a participant in broadcasting accurate information and partnering with the scientific and health communities to counterweight, if not flood the zone, of accurate information. Because to, try, to put the genie back in the bottle of the misinformation and disinformation is nigh impossible. Wow. The technology platforms, let's just name them, maybe Facebook, Twitter, Google, wherever people get their information, have to recognize that they are no longer a technology platform, but a broadcast platform, and they must be responsible for culling the information and fitting it to meet the global approved messaging that is considered not disinformation or misinformation, whatever it is, uh, to coordinate that flow of information out to the people. They were planning on this. They were practicing for it. They were simulating this. And they were doing this all on October 18th, 2019. Of course, they said, oh, well, you know, the coronavirus that they were simulating came from pigs instead of bats, which was the information they disseminated uh, during the real pandemic, uh, when it was go time for these people. Fast forward to February 2020, not long after that event. There's a lot of evidence that the virus was man-made. The origin we won't necessarily talk about yet here at this point. However, the global pandemic was begun in 2020. They call it COVID-19 because it started in 2019. In fact, it was already spreading uh, in China when they had the event, I think. And anyways, it spread to the globe, which is what viruses do. You've heard the term going viral. If something goes viral, it just spreads to everybody. Well, that's what the virus did. The virus went viral. And uh, it, it certainly did what viruses are meant to do, which is spread themselves and not kill the hosts while they're doing it. What I want to focus on today is more so the response to the virus. Now, let me begin by saying if you have a loved one who either died from this or got severely sick or permanently injured in some way, my heart goes out to you. I personally have friends who died from COVID-19 or complications from it. Uh, they were older. They did have not necessarily pre-existing conditions, but at least had been advanced in years. Uh, my own father 
uh, struggled very significantly when he caught COVID. Everybody in our family has, has had it since then. This is not meant to be insensitive to the difficulty that real sickness can cause. And just to lay the foundation biblically, we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself might be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Remember, the creation is under a curse right now. It groans with pains of childbirth uh, for the revealing and waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. So everything that we see here is temporary. My heart goes out to those who have suffered specifically from this pandemic. It's not to mitigate that suffering at all. What this is going to be is a look at the response, the reaction to that suffering, a reaction to the pandemic and the man-made policies that affected so many people's lives in ways that really had nothing to do with the virus or the pandemic. So I'm just going to touch on a few things, a few highlights that came to my mind, um, The first thing when this all started happening, if you remember, was masks. And what they said actually was not to wear them. So you had Deborah Burks, Jerome Adams, Robert Redfield, Anthony Fauci. They all said you should not wear them. They won't do anything. You shouldn't wear them. And then you remember they flipped and you should wear them. And then you must wear them. There was no acknowledgement at the time of any of the negative effects that this might have uh, by putting masks on all the time, uh, wearing them, uh, especially putting them on our children. Uh, The physical, emotional, social, and developmental consequences, uh, they are still being realized today. Uh, There's a lot of kids who don't really talk yet anymore because children learn to talk from a lot of visual cues of watching the others around them talk, especially their parents and their, the adults around them that are teaching them to speak. If that's all covered up, if we cover our faces, they don't get those cues. They miss a lot of the social benefits uh, and important developmental milestones. Huge negative effect, not to mention all the carbon dioxide and other junk floating around in the mask all day. And so many people were made to wear it all day. It was a mandate. So many businesses and organizations and all these different entities forcing it, 
forcing the matter, forcing it hard. And you might say, well, you should want to. Well, you know what? The masks don't work as well as they said. They all said they didn't work. Then they said they did work. And then they said, oh, actually, it's better if you wear two of them. Fauci really did say that. Uh, and he put two on on TV saying, yeah, you know, I put two on just to get a better fit. Well, you mean you're telling me that one mask isn't good enough? Like, it's all such a racket. Uh, yeah, it's good for the mask manufacturers. But anyways, I would get, you know, in trouble just going into Home Depot without one on. You know, oh, you know sir, you got to put a mask on or whatever. Oh, I don't have one, you know. Okay. You can pull your shirt over your face like this and over your nose. And they were fine with that. Like, okay, come on in. It just, it, it was, uh, it became a symbol really, in my opinion. And for whatever it's worth, that is what I saw. It didn't, it didn't really do what they said it would uh, because nobody wore them right. In fact, I used to watch at the time, uh, I had forgot about this, but they had training videos put out by the CDC on how to properly wear a mask. And if you didn't do it properly, it wouldn't have the right effect. And I can tell you, very few people watch those training videos. And having watched them, I could identify repeatedly, easily, the people who were forcing me to wear a mask were violating the actions that were important to make the mask work. Uh, it was quite ridiculous and comical. And actually, at the time, it was not funny at all. It was uh, quite disturbing to me. Nobody was trained in it. And it was really just a, a disgrace. It was, it was a big theater. Uh, people said, oh, put the mask on and then... It was like, but I'm watching the person like completely violate the, the actual policies that they were saying to follow. The next piece that I remember, and you probably do too, was the shutdowns, the lockdowns, the mandates to stay home. It was closing businesses, churches, gatherings of any kind. Do you remember 14 days to flatten the curve? That's what they said. Then it was 30 days, then it was 45 days, then it was like a year and a half or whatever. Anyways, they let people out again because you can't actually stay locked down. But the economic damage that was done, you take people who God made in his image to work and create value for one another. Economics is just interacting with one another on a daily basis. And it's what God created us to do. And the government came along and said, stop it. If you remember, they somehow determined what were essential businesses and what were not essential businesses. Now, I don't know how you go about that. I know that they had some sort of guidelines to, to uh, come to their conclusions. But here's my question. How do you tell a restaurant owner who's run a family business for decades in his family, what he's doing to provide for his family on a daily basis, sorry, man, that's not uh, essential, and you have to go home. You have to close down. You have to shut your business 
down until further notice. And it was a long time. It was not 14 days to flatten the curve. They did send out a little bit of stimulus money injected straight into our bank accounts, but that's not the same as business. Business is creating value for people and they compensate you with their value in return, which is in the form of money. You see, I don't know how you tell somebody that what he does on a daily basis is not essential, but I can tell you this. I'm sure the restaurant owner that Gavin Newsom attended dinner at, without a mask on, by the way, uh, was considered essential somehow. That one was essential. Um, Also, abortion clinics. Those were essential. They remained open for business. Uh, Apparently, taking babies' lives in the womb before they even take their first breath is an essential business. Sorry, restaurant owner. Nope. But baby killer, yes. Then you had companies like Amazon and Netflix, apparently who could do business safely, right? Oh, they could stay open for business, no problem. And there's this, you know, really famous commercial from the time where they're saying, oh, we keep our employees safe and we do all, we take all these measures to, to be safe. And of course, you know, Amazon can operate, sure, you know, they grew a ton during the pandemic, you know, and Netflix, stay home, watch TV, and watch Netflix programming, and uh, you know, don't go outside. Uh, don't see your don't see your friends. I remember um, one of the recommendations that was sent uh, from our HR department at the time at the company that I was working at that said, you know, recommendations on how to stay safe over the holidays. Every single bullet point on that uh, communication, that email communication, was exactly opposite of what I was going to do to stay healthy. Uh, They said, stay inside. I don't stay inside. I go outside and exercise. Uh, They said, don't see your loved ones. That's a good way to get depressed. I see my loved ones. They said, wear a mask. I don't wear a mask to stay healthy. (laughs) I get fresh air to stay healthy. You see, there's all these things that um, we were kind of forced to do or asked to do that are exactly opposite of the things that I remember at the time thinking like, well, that's exactly opposite what I'm going to do. Anyways, remember very early on, getting back on track here, uh, it was all about the respirators. Ah, we need the respirators. And then we found that, oh, well, most people die when they go on a respirator. So, well, we need, what they really need is oxygen. And there were some good doctors early on who found that out and uh, were basically whistleblowers on the whole thing saying, hey, this is how we need to be treating it. And of course, they were uh, shut down and silenced in many ways. If you didn't hear about those, you know, let me know and I will send you the information on it. There were also off-label drugs that could be very effective in treating COVID-19. You remember doctors like Dr. Zelenko or Dr. Pierre Corey who were severely attacked for practicing medicine in a way that says, hey, we got this problem on our hands and we found ways to treat it and they were shut down. I remember watching the press briefings and you know, Dr. Fauci just saying, oh, nope, those don't work at all. There's no evidence whatsoever that those work, uh, even though that there was because these doctors were having success in their real practice. It's very much 
a coordinated effort to suppress the truth of these off-label drugs working. There's no other explanation for it. Let us not forget that. There was also the uh, infamous horse dewormer (laughs) that obviously was approved for humans and known to work, uh, but was lambasted by Fauci and the mainstream media. Just a huge battle of information. All very similar to what the Event 201 simulated. Hey, we got to get the messaging very clear and coming from central trusted sources. Well, really what they did, uh, in my opinion, is decrease their credibility because they did not look at things that were actually uh, evidentially true and they just suppressed it. And then there was the infamous injection. Yes, the savior of society, the big injection that was going to fix all of our problems. It needs to be said, we need to remember, and we need to learn from history. So that'll be next on The Whole Steward. Hey there, it's Andrew. I pour a lot into The Whole Steward, and I'm so humbled you're listening. Did you know I regularly post new articles to our website? I also send the Holistic Approach to Wealth newsletter once a week, to which you can subscribe at thewholesteward.com newsletter. If you're enjoying what you're hearing on the show, would you share it with a friend or leave us a review? I'd really appreciate it. Oh, and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Gary Pinkerton with Gary's Gulch Podcast. You are listening to The Whole Steward with Andrew Stanton, one of the best researched shows by a man of true passion. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. So you remember Operation Warp Speed, yes, remember, none of these repurposed drugs should be used, but the quote-unquote vaccine is the all-powerful savior. Let's get a little technical for a second. It's actually not a vaccine as we would think of one traditionally. It's mRNA technology, and before the pandemic, it was known as gene therapy. Prior to the pandemic... There were a lot of doctors doing a lot of research on the mRNA technology, and one of the famous ones, Peter Hotez, testified before Congress very, very early on in the pandemic saying, hey, you know, they're talking about this mRNA vaccine. Uh, He worked on it. He's a very pro-vaccine, saying that, look, there's there's a problem. We've seen issues in the uh, animal trials that make it not really ready for mainstream. When the Chinese started putting up the data on bioarchive in, in January, February, we saw very close homology between the two and realized that we may be sitting on a very attractive coronavirus vaccines. Now we're working with, again, with NIH and we'll work with BARDA and others to get the funding, but now we'll have that lag. And these clinical uh, trials are not going to go quickly because of that immune enhancement. It's going to take time. And so, uh, you know, all of, and unfortunately, 
some of my colleagues in the biotech uh, industry are making these inflated claims. You know, you've, you've seen this on, on the newspapers. We're going to have this vaccine in weeks or in this and that. What they're really saying is they can move a vaccine into clinical trials, but this will not go quickly because as we start vaccinating human volunteers, especially in areas where we have community transmission, uh, we're going to have to proceed very slowly, very cautiously. The FDA is on top of that. They have a great team in place at the Center for Biologics Evaluation Research. They're aware of the problem, but it's not going to go quickly. We're going to have to follow this very slowly, cautiously, to make certain we're not seeing that immune enhancement. So you know, now we're hearing projections a year, 18 months. Who knows? This is, this is not going to go quickly. Well, of course, later he flipped and... Uh, said, yes, get vaccinated, and he was on you know, TV getting vaccinated himself. People who don't have much of a moral conscience just change their mind and change what they're saying. It's very sad. That's Peter Hotez. Here's how it went. First, they renamed it a vaccine to get better uptake. Uh, rather than calling it gene therapy, that probably wouldn't have gone over so well, so they renamed it. Then they said... If you're vaccinated, you're perfectly protected from catching and transmitting the virus. Now, we all know that wasn't true, but at the time, that's exactly what they were saying. They were saying, "Give it." I remember watching Biden bend over the podium and say, get vaccinated. We have the tools. Now we just have to finish the job with truth, with science, with confidence, and together as one nation. Look, we're the United States of America. There's nothing, not a single thing we're unable to do if we do it together. So let's stay together. God bless you all and all those who continue to serve on the front lines of this pandemic. And may God protect our troops. Get vaccinated. Super creepy. I looked at my wife. I'm like, whoa, this is not convincing at all. (laughs) Anyways, the mRNA technology was then rolled out on a mass scale. After a while, they said, well, you know, you can still catch the virus, uh, but you can't transmit it. So you're still like sort of protecting other people by by doing it. Uh, And then they capitulated even further and said, oh, well, actually, yeah, you can still catch it and transmit it if you're vaccinated, but you won't get as sick. Okay, yeah, maybe you won't get as sick, but you're still spreading COVID around, you know? Now, if you were following The High Wire at all during this time, which is a show I've mentioned previously on the show, it's very good with Del Bigtree. They do great journalistic research in this topic, and if you were following them at the time, you would have known all these things prior to the rollout because they break down the studies, they show you, okay, here's how the here's what the trial was, here's how effective it actually was, and here's what mainstream media is saying, which is completely disconnected from reality. You have to be very careful where you get your information. Don't trust me on this. I'll send, I'll put the links to everything I'm talking about uh, in the show description. If you look at what happened, um, by the way, Pfizer, Moderna, BioNTech, uh, they made colossal profits during this time, each in the tens of billions of dollars. And most of that was 
basically publicly funded. I mean, governments around the world paid for this thing to be mass injected into millions of people. And it was an experimental injection. It really was. I mean, even when the ACIP meeting approved it, they approved it for emergency authorization, which means, well, it's not, you know, officially approved. That means it's still experimental. It's like, oh, they, you know, they're using the, the general public as the test subjects, basically, in this case. If you look at this, I think that, you know, the, the ACIP body wrongly approved it because there were some early markers that there were significant, you might call them side effects, but I just like to call them effects. You know, any and every treatment you do on your body will have an effect. It might have the effect you want. It might have other effects that you don't want, but they're all just effects. Um, one of them was myocarditis in young men. Others were blood clotting. They were very real issues, and you didn't hear about those when you got the jab, probably. Uh, they probably didn't say, hey, by the way, you know, just so you're aware, there are these really um, high probabilities, relatively speaking, of these effects. Uh, you didn't get that. It was just one little thing on the label that says, this is emergency use, use authorization, and you had to sign a thing that said, uh, yeah, you you can't sue them. Because, by the way, vaccine uh, manufacturers, they are not liable for any damages when, uh, when they occur. Apparently, the government covers that. And we can dive into more detail on that later. But these companies are making billions of dollars in profit. That's not the revenue. That's the profit uh, on these experimental injections. And millions, tens of millions of people are uh, taking them, yeah, getting, getting the injection. Now, this, in many ways, was a very clear violation of the Nuremberg Code on so many levels. If you don't know what the Nuremberg Code is, in fact, I didn't actually know before all of this. I learned a lot during the pandemic. Uh, the Nuremberg Code was... A, a byproduct of the Nuremberg trials, which were doctors in Nazi Germany who were administering experimental injections on people without true informed consent. And those doctors were later, after the war, tried and found guilty of saying, well, we were just doing our uh, job. It was just our job. It's what we, you know, we were told to do. It's we, we had to do it. And um, the trial said, uh, no. That's not good enough. You're, you're in trouble anyways. And one of the, the, the very first thing, uh, the very first item of the Nuremberg Code is informed consent. So unless you know all the things about the injection that can be known and are known, um, that's not informed consent. If they tell you, oh, it's... It's safe and effective to prevent uh, contracting the virus and or spreading the virus. And they tell you that and you go and get it. That was simply not true. And it was known to not be true. It was a lie. And so that's why I say, and there are many other levels that it violated the Nuremberg Code, but that was, um, that's just one example. Now, the crazy thing is then it was 
mandated. It was mandated for healthcare workers, for government employees, for first responders, for pilots. This experimental injection was mandated for those people to keep their jobs. And I personally know people who were forced out of their careers uh, in that space because, well, maybe they got the first one or two injections, but they were like, no, I'm not getting the booster because they then saw like, hey, this thing doesn't actually work and it's actually risky and I I don't need it. Um, They lost their jobs. So many good, uh, the, the people who were, you know, thinking on their two feet in nursing, the doctors, the first responders, the, um, the pilots, those are the people you really want in, you know, taking care of you when you actually, uh, you know, need them. And they were being forced out of their, their work. Uh, the people who just line up and, you know, take the jab, mindlessly take the jab, makes me wonder if I even want them working on me. So it's a very sad time when all these people were losing their jobs. Uh, many were forced out of their professions altogether. Then if you remember, uh, in my case, medical segregation was enacted. Uh, the company that I worked for said when you got vaccinated, you could then take your mask off and you could kind of go back to normal if you got the injection. But if you didn't get the injection and you had to bring proof to the job site that you got it, you still had to wear a mask. It was those people who were did not want to wear a mask and did not want to get the injection. And I asked the question straight up in one of the meetings, one of the team meetings we were having. I said, are you going to, are you really going to enact medical segregation? And the response was, yes, that's exactly what it is. And we're going to do it. So that's, that's the way it is. And I was just, uh, I was floored. I couldn't believe it, but that, that's what it was. Looking back, we know that the vaccine doesn't do what they said it would. So then you had to get a booster and then another booster and then another booster. And uh, by the way, if you're not fully up to date on all your boosters, they consider you unvaccinated. Now, uh, that's not really a fair statement because an unvaccinated person is someone who didn't participate in the experiment at all. One who got some of the injections, but just not all of them that they told you you needed to get, should be kind of like a third category. If you want it, that's great. But if you got it without informed consent, that's a a violation of the Nuremberg Code in a very sad and difficult situation. Uh, Especially if you look back and say, wow, I wish I didn't get it. You can't take it out of you once you put it in you. And that's This is a, folks, a a stewardship uh, of the body question. You have to think about this from a biblical Christian worldview. Is this something that God wants me injecting into my body? Is it because you're afraid of the sickness that this is apparently supposed to prevent? Is it because you're trying to do it for others around you, where if you are honest about this particular injection and 
we could talk about other injections all day, the ones that they administer to children um, extensively. But that's a choice. This is a choice that you have to make. This is a choice about stewarding your body. And God certainly has given you your body. And uh, parents, you know, if you're taking care of your children, you are, in a sense, responsible as part of your social capital. But really think about and pay attention to what it is that you put into your body. Now, we know Jesus says that it's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of the man, for out of the heart comes all forms of wicked ways. And that is true. What goes into your mouth passes through the stomach and is expelled, but what comes out of the heart is inherently moral. Out of the heart the mouth speaks, the Bible says. The thing is, though, that there are healthy foods and unhealthy foods. There are uh, healthy injections and unhealthy injections. And you have to use a lot of wisdom to decipher that. I'm just talking about it because of the global response and the push and the lies that were propagated during the time. We need to be on guard. We really need to be thinking about these things very carefully, especially because, as we'll see at the end, we may, we may not be out of this. We certainly are not out of this uh, from a global effort perspective. And really, these uh, you know, global elites that are pushing these responses. Lastly, the financial ramifications, they've been honestly just catastrophic. So many businesses went out of business at the time. Uh, so, so many of the big businesses just got that much bigger. And it's been one of the largest wealth transfers in modern history. Uh, think about it. You got these vaccine companies, billions of dollars in profit. Where did that come from? It was a wealth transfer, especially since it was publicly funded. We know that uh, inflation takes the money right out of your bank account, the buying power out of your bank account, and they get to spend it how they want to, and they spend it on these experimental injections, and they make a lot of money. Your bank account goes down in value. Uh, there's a lot of ways that wealth was transferred. The injections were not the only thing, not the only product that got artificially propped up by the global response. To wrap it up here, then, I want to talk about a topic that is very important, and it's spheres of authority. Now, a lot of people will look at Romans 13, and they'll say, you know what, you should just line up and do whatever the government tells you to do uh, because Romans 13 says to. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. 
For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Now, that wraps up verses 1 through 7, and a lot of people will point to that and say, look, you got to obey the authorities no matter what, because that's what God wants. They're God's minister. They were appointed by Him. He set them up, and so you need to obey. Well, by God's grace, we live in a constitutional republic set up by men who are very wise in setting up a government that is by the people, for the people, of the people. And if those in authority violate the founding charters, like the Constitution, which many of the things that were being enacted by the health authorities or whatever are not constitutional and therefore illegal. And granted... It doesn't say here, only obey if the guys in authority are doing things that are legal. It says, just obey. But there is the need to understand spheres of authority. There are three spheres of authority. There's the civil government authority. Then there's the church. And then there's the family. Now, the civil government has a certain jurisdiction. Some people will say, oh, well, this is uh, descriptive of what government is. Others will say, no, Romans 13, 1-7 is prescriptive. It's actually prescribing to the government what the government should be. So they're supposed to be a, an avenger on the wrongdoer. But what we saw through the pandemic Many times, it's not the wrongdoers who are getting punished. It, it, it's not the wrongdoers. It's the doers of good that are suffering. In many cases, they are the ones being punished. They are the ones being fined. In fact, California made millions of dollars in fines off of businesses and churches, although a lot of those went to the courts, and many of them were struck down, praise the Lord, there is still some level of the Constitution being upheld in those cases. But that isn't to say that people didn't suffer and bear a lot of weight under a lot of these measures that were administered by the government. So the civil government has a certain jurisdiction, which is to administer good and uphold the laws that are good, which come from, obviously, God's holy and moral standards, like murder, theft, and things like that. Then you have the sphere of the church, and the church has a certain authority within itself to administer, say, church discipline and the uh, ordinances that God has left us, and that battle has been going on for 
hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, thousands of years, really, the battle between the civil government and their authority of trying to exercise that over the church and what goes on inside the church. And I'm not talking about inside the four walls of the building. The church is not the building. The church is the people. Now, I remember in the pandemic, our estate put out guidelines or put out uh, a mandate that said you can meet for church, but you can't sing. It was a big deal. We did have that conversation. And the church needs to obey God and his commands. If the civil government says, hey, don't do something that God said you need to do, then we need to do it as the church. And the, the government doesn't have that authority. And many a Christian has been locked up and uh, put in jail for good things. And that's, that's not a, a good thing on the part of the government to be punishing good and uh, rewarding evil. That's a very sad thing, and we saw a lot of that. And then the last sphere of authority is the family. The, the father of the house has a certain role of authority as the head. The government, nor the church, have authority over the family in certain ways, and they can easily overstep their bounds. So, really, it's God has given parents the right and responsibility to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is parents' rights and responsibilities. If the church or the government oversteps their spheres of responsibility into the family, that also becomes a big problem. So each one of those spheres needs to function uh, as God intended, and everything will be much better. Why are we looking at this history today? Well, there is a new strain, mutation, or whatever you want to call it. It is the BA.2.86 sublineage, and it's getting some traction in the press and mainstream media. People are starting to talk about masks again. They're starting to talk about uh, social distancing and different kinds of mandates. And I wanted to bring this up and discuss this today because you can hear how passionate I am about the wrongs that were administered during that time. A power grab by the authorities to see how much can we actually subject them to and get them to comply with before they say enough is enough. Now, I brought this up on the whole steward because enough is enough. I want us to not forget what history has taught us, even if it is the last three years. Or we talked a little bit about the Nuremberg Code, which goes all the way back to the 1940s. But certainly, if we don't learn from history, we are bound to repeat it because history will rhyme. And it may not be a pandemic. It may be something else like climate change or something like that, where they say, oh, you know, for your own safety, for your own good, we need to administer these things. To me, that's a big red flag. As a whole steward, you're thinking on your own two feet. God has given us what we call free will, and he's given us a stewardship. He's given us 
commands and uh, his word to obey. We need to love one another. We need to be patient. None of what I said today, if whether you're vaccinated or not, whether you think masks work or not, we need to respect one another. And I certainly respect anyone who wants to participate. What I do not respect is the coercion and the segregation of peoples based on their injection status, for example, or their face covering status, for example. We need to be very careful with those things. They're extremely divisive. Let's just be careful to respect one another, to love one another, but to also remember to not repeat history. And if we all stand up and we say no to the lies and we say no to the corruption and we do that together, then we have a fighting chance of preventing the bad part of history to repeat itself. There's a lot of good things that have come out of the last three years. So let's make the next three years even better. That's all I have for today. If you like The Whole Steward, please leave a review. Please go to thewholesteward.com slash review. Leave us one there or even better on whatever platform that you listen to. Don't forget to subscribe and I will meet you next week for The Whole Steward. Now that you know more, go out and grow more. All content on The Whole Steward is for informational purposes only and must not be considered personal, professional, tax, or legal advice. Please consult an appropriate professional for individualized advice. Though we do our best to bring you reliable information, we make no guarantee on its accuracy. So you must rely on your own due diligence to draw your own conclusions. The views expressed by guests on the show are their own and may not represent that of the host. Please visit our website for complete terms and conditions. Thanks for joining us today for the holistic approach to wealth from a Christian worldview. This show is brought to you by thewholesteward.com.